You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. And uh, once you have your Bible, turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 66. Psalm 66 is where we're going to kick off our year today in God's Word here. You'll find the Psalms right smack in the middle of your Bible. We'll pick up John next week. If you're wondering, like we were in John, yes, we'll pick it up next week and uh, keep going there. But today we're going to just give our attention to Psalm 66. Every January in our church's existence, we've begun the year with prayer. In January and these Sundays, we just need to stop and remind our heart and reset our faith and its proper dependence on God. And as we look back on 2022 and reflect on all that God did, and as we try to peer forward to what we anticipate we will do, I think we will find something about God overridingly true in every moment of our life. And so I want us to begin the ministry year here, this calendar year, where we begin our ministry year in this theme of come, where throughout the Bible, there's this invitation from God to draw near to him, to come to him, really to come to him through prayer. And this is itself a grace, it's a privilege that God has given us this access to him. But throughout the Bible, we see this theme of come and come and be saved, come and find rest, come and be holy, come and discover who God is, come and belong, come and be sent. And as we come near to him, praying to him, worshiping, walking, working for him, and in turn, inviting others to also come near to him. Psalm 66 gives us a vision for what that looks like, gives us a vision for how we can pray towards that and things that we can uh, resolve to do in our life. As many make these resolutions for change with the new year, we just commit to the ancient paths of faithfulness once again in our pursuit of God. And so with that said, join me in your Bible. I want to read Psalm 66 for us, and then we will take it a section or a stanza at a time. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read Psalm 66. It says this, to the choir master, a song, a psalm, shout for joy to God, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise, say to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. 
I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble, I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This is God's word for God's people. This is a glorious psalm. And what do we see woven throughout this psalm about God? Same thing that as we peer back at our life, as we uh, look through the moments of 2022 that shaped us and defined us, as we look ahead to 2023 and what we hope God will do, what is true of him in every moment is that he is awesome. That our God is awesome and therefore everything he does is awesome. Awesome in his grace, awesome in his sovereignty, awesome in his power, awesome in his work in our life. And when I say awesome, I mean to the very epitome of provoking a response of awe and amazement in us and out of us. It's more than the, how we use awesome in football context. So we say, man, that catch, that one-handed brilliant catch was, was awesome, or that tackle was awesome, or how we describe brilliant lyrics in a song as awesome. No, God is far beyond. He deserves the highest of awe and amazement in all that he is and all that he does. For God truly is the definition of awesome. He is entirely different than us. We, anything that we may do is merely just a shadow. A shadow, an imitation on our part uh, of the Lord that is muddied by our sin where we are still in progress and tainted by impure motives, but not with the Lord. For he truly is awesome. And this is what we discover as we look back, no matter if their circumstances were uh, uh, defined by failed attempts or job changes or unexpected grief or on the other side of financial prosperity and unexpected gains, no matter what it was through it all, God is, you say it, awesome. And that is undiminished regardless of our situation. And it's equally true as we look ahead to 2023, you can count on every day, every moment, God being undiminished in his awesomeness. And because he is awesome, because he is this way, Psalm 66 really sets the course for us how to live, how to take the ancient path towards the, into the future of walking with him faithfully. And so as we take this psalm stanza by stanza, five of them here, uh, we begin to see what those ancient paths are. We begin to see how we then should live. And here's the first one in the first stanza. Because God is awesome, we should worship him fully. Write this down. If you're taking notes there, you have your uh, notes in, in front of you. Because God is awesome, worship him fully. Look at the first four verses, this first uh, stanza here. It begins, there's just some introductory things. It, where it says to the choir master a song a psalm now you see that in your bible just in block notes 
I want to, I want to just help you understand this because maybe you're unfamiliar with how Bible publishing and all that stuff works. The numbers that you see in, in our Bible, the chapter numbers, verse numbers, all that stuff, those have been added by publishers. and Well, they're, they're added like in the 1500s and what we know uh, really here and, and then standardized kind of from there. The headers that are probably in your Bible there in bold, like mine says, how awesome are your deeds, that was added by the publisher. In my case, I have a Bible that's published by Crossway. It's that. But in the Psalms, those block letters there are part of what was written. It, it, it's, it, it's part of the, the text there, added by whether the person who wrote it or in the Psalter along the way. But those are things that were there. just helps us understand. There are historical markers about who wrote it for a situation for which it was written. There are certain uh, you know, Psalms that David wrote as a response to uh, a, a situation or a moment in his life. And this was the song that was born out of it. In this case, it's just a generic one. It's just, it's to the choir master, it's a song, it's a song. There's no historical thing attached to it, not even an author, likely David, but he didn't take credit for it. But you're like, come on, it's a pretty good song. Don't you want the royalties uh, for it? Guess not. But it's a song for an unknown festival, appropriate for any time, for any moment, for any situation. And so, therefore, for us now, thousands of years later, appropriate for us. And uh, as we begin this new year, as he leads us here into this, on this beginning note of passionate worship, of unashamed worship, vertical worship that is singing to God uh, about God. And notice here how he describes the, the worship of the Lord. Because he is awesome, the fullness of our worship is loud and lively. Begins the first word in the, in the verse is what? Sing quietly. Whisper with murmured voices to God. No. What does it say? Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Give him glorious praise. See, vertical worship, a worship that is the fullness of us, is, is, is loud and it's lively. In Revelation 4 and 5, as you, if you go and read that, maybe some of you read it recently in your well, year plan reading through the Bible, as God kind of peers back the, the curtains for us to get this vision of worship in heaven around the throne, you get this picture that it is loud and it is lively. It is not this quiet stoicism where everyone's just kind of like, uh, you know, murmuring before the Lord. But no, they are all singing with all their heart to the Lamb who has been slain, to this awesome God. And notice here, it's, it's, a, it's a call to everyone. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. All the earth, verse 4 says, worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Now, there's a future hope uh, embedded in this, uh, that day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord, but also a creation uh, 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 emphasis here is that even all of God's creation is worshiping and going up in his praise, but it is for us as believers to sing to him not just in wild chaos. Now note this, it is tempered. It's not just everybody loud and lively singing chaotically and everybody screaming like a room full of a bunch of five-year-olds and just a bunch of, you know, who knows what's going on in there. But look, it's a unified chorus of voices all saying the same thing in the same direction. For it is everyone saying to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. 
See, vertical worship is to God, about God, all God's people going to God's awesomeness, moving us to sing to him with everything that we have. Singing to him of his great power, singing to him of his, of his great worth and, and his might, singing to him because he is the one truly worth the, the highest of praise, our deepest affection, our loudest praise, more than our sports teams, more than our family. God deserves the fullness of our worship. In 2023, as we draw near to Christ, both personally and corporately, as we see his awesome deeds amongst us, saving people, maturing people, multiplying and sending out God's people, as we see his awesome deeds, let our worship be proportionate to his awesomeness. Dialing up the fervency of our praise all the more so that we go vertical in our praise to the one who deserves it but also horizontal in witness. See, because God is awesome, here's the second thing that the next stanza tells us, that we are to witness for him joyfully. Because God is awesome, that provokes a response that goes upward in praise, but it is not something that we just keep to ourselves. It is something that then we, that spills over in an invitation to others to see God's awesomeness. You know, we're pretty good as we, you know, we'll see a highlight video. And what do we do? We see this uh, super awesome highlight video or something really cool, uh, you know, they make something or whatever. And what do, we, what do we often do? We turn it and we share it around with people or we, uh, we take it and we drop it into that text group or with our, you know, small group or our family or whatever. We share these things. And the same is true, but much, um, much more magnificently true as we see the awesomeness of God. We give to him worship and then we share it with others. See, look at verse five says it's then this come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. See, we're just showing, like, look what God has done. He is involved in us. Look what he's doing in my life. Look at what he's doing in the world around us. And so where do we find God's awesome deeds? If we're inviting others to come and see, where do we show the awesome deeds, the evidence of God's work amongst us? Well, the verses tell us here, the invitation is verse five, but in verse six, see, we, we show them in the pages of our Bible. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. What is that referring to? Exodus 14, right? After Israel is delivered from Egyptian slavery through the Red Sea, as Pharaoh and his army is bearing down upon them to consume them and to annihilate them, God in his awesomeness does the impossible, splits the Red Sea so they can pass through and then annihilates and wipes out Pharaoh and his army. How awesome is that? I mean, it's maybe been diminished in our eyes because of movies and things that we've, we, we can now grasp it. And yet, I think as we begin to ponder on how it all happened and the impossibility of it all, we say, wow, God, you love your people. No wonder Exodus 15 then is a, is a, a response of worship. There did they rejoice in him. See, we show people God's awesome deeds as we come to our Bible. And that's just one story. Page after page, as you devote yourself to reading the scriptures, you will see over and over again, all throughout human history, God has been awesome in his deeds towards his children. So we invite others, we witness, we just show, like, look what God has done. But also, 
we show him in the providential workings of our own life. See, this is what he's talking about in verse 7. Speaking of God who rules awesomely by his might forever, he, with whose eyes he keeps watch on the nations. See, we show God, we witness for him by just acknowledging, right? He, he, his rule, his, the details in your life as he is working things out for your good. As you talk about his providential involvement in your life, leading you in holiness. As he opens doors for you to follow him faithfully and joyfully. As you point this out to people, look what God has done in my life. Where this was impossible and God moved these things so that I could do blank. So that I could walk faithfully as we give credit to the things of God to his moving, his working in our life. This is how we tell others, hey, come and see what God has done in my life. He is not some dead, distant God, uninvolved or uncaring to the things of my life. No, he is involved. He does care. And let me show you how he rules over my life. For if we take credit for that, look at the warning at the end of verse 7. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. We think we can be deluded in thinking that we uh, made it all happen, patting ourselves on the back for our brilliant planning or for the decisions that we make. But note this also, as you witness to others joyfully, as you tell the things of God, the rebellious will scoff at and seek to explain away the things. Oh, no, that wasn't God at work. They will exalt themselves as the ones in control, taking credit for all things. And yet, what do we commit to do? Because we know God is awesome, we just say, come Come and see. Let me show you this awesome God. Let me show you in the pages of my Bible. Let me show you in the, his providential involvement in my life here. And see, redemption, this is how we can with joy take ground this year in our unafraid witness for the things of God. Our evangelism isn't just a, a mere transaction of information about God, but it is a life-changing impact with the gospel. It is not just a list of facts. It is awesome that God would deliver you. It is awesome that he would be involved in our life. That awesome, holy God, seeing us harassed and helpless, would send his son Christ to live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we were supposed to die and rise again so that we can live forever. And that's just not a set facts. We say, okay, here's this. Take all these things and then life will be good. We show the impact. We invite others to come and see how awesome this God is to save us. And we tell that story over and over and over again of how he saved us and how he is continuing to work in us all throughout our life. The story of his awesome sovereignty in your life and in my life over everything. And it's something here that we become more and more aware of the closer that we walk with him. See, God's awesome work, his providential working in your life, the, the, the stories in the scripture, the more we, uh, we become aware of these things, the closer we walk with him. And maybe that's why our worship lacks, our witnessing lacks, because there's also this distance between you and the Lord. Even so, it's God's awesome grace to invite you to walk with him, to invite you to come walking with him faithfully. See, here's the next stanza, because God is awesome, because he is awesome, walk with him faithfully. 
That's what he's getting at here in this, in this third stanza where it's sounding the note of blessing and thanksgiving once again that really comes as we walk with him, yes, through the sturdy pathways of life, but as well as the shaky ones, the scary ones. It is the Lord who graciously keeps our soul every step of the way, even as he tests us. Because he is awesome, look, it, it, it again sounds as known in verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Now that's collective for us as well. This was the sound of his praise heard this morning. Oh, yes. Is the sound of his praise being heard day in and day out from your lips? Blessing him even as tests confront you. It's a note of thanksgiving and praise, but look at verse 17, or verse 10, I mean, sorry. For you, O God, have tested us. Tests make most of us cringe, right? Some of you all are abnormal and like, tests, I love tests, right? Tests are the last word that you students want to hear right now, right? Like, I'm still on break, don't talk about tests. For others now, they don't come in the form of like paper tests or things like that in the classroom. They come in the form of like audits, right? Financial audits that are going to happen, process audits, you know, the boss coming in and doing reviews. See how we're doing. But tests make us cringe. We don't like them. We, don't, we, 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 we run from tests so often. But look at the imagery in these verses here. Fire is the refiner's fire, like, like you have tried us as silver has tried. It's a picture, the imagery here of a test is of the refiner's fire, the scorching heat, the breaking down of hard metals to molten liquid. He's in a net of being confined and unable to get out, trapped, and also doesn't end there. It's the imagery of a crushing load on our backs, a backpack full of rocks making us stumble, sapping us of energy. doesn't end there either. This is the picture of being knocked on the ground, of the pandemonium of battle with men riding on horses over us as we just cower with hands over our head in fetal position, uh, fearing for our life. It doesn't end there. It's, uh, we, these tests are through fire, through water. Can you relate to any of this imagery? Does the path you're on right now feel like maybe these, like a test? Where parenting seems like a furnace? Marriage seems like you're caught in a net? Your schoolwork seems like a crushing load? You're getting rode over at work? Your house is on fire? You're drowning in singleness, whatever it is? Don't worry, beloved, whatever it is, we're going to take some time in a bit to pray over all of those things. But maybe you can relate to the tests. But what is it, redemption, what is it that keeps us faithfully plodding along in these moments when life seems like one of these things? Praise. Bless our God, O peoples, when life is good. When the way is easy, is that what it says? Praise God. Bless our God, O peoples, even when it hurts, even when it doesn't make sense to bless God, even when your praise is just a groan. 
praise him, bless his name. It, it, it is praise that is his worship that keeps us plodding along forward, but it is also the truth, the truth that acts as these guardrails alongside us. For tied up in all the imagery are these three just like rock-solid, resolute guardrails that keep us from crashing and careening over the cliff. Look at these truths here. They're on the screen. You can write them down if you want. But this first truth, that God will persevere you. He keeps you. He has kept our soul among the living, verse 9 says, and has not let our feet slip. He will keep you going no matter what. It's his strength. It's his perseverance. If you try to do it in your own strength, you, you will slip. But it is God who will persevere you, who will keep you. We are just wobbly totter, toddlers along the path. And it is God who picks us up oftentimes and carries us through. He grabs us by the hand and when we stumble around or the step that we can't get over or get down, he takes us by the hand. He will not let our feet slip. There's a second truth in these, embedded in these verses. God presides over you and over every test. Did you note that in verse 10 through 12? You, O oh God have tested us. You have tried us. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden. You let men uh, ride over us. And note this. Don't miss this. God is not cruel to do this. For in, in God's awesomeness, he is also perfectly and equally good. He is good. And as he tests us, we can say this note and remember this. We've said this along the way. These tests in your life where you feel that you're caught in a net, where the backpack load is too much, where the fire seems too hot. The tests are not meant to merely just show you how strong or weak your faith is. But in this case, you're to show you how awesome God is. How awesome he is as he can work through the brokenness of life, as he presides over the crippling and corrupting effects of sin in your life and in the people around you. Even still, he is awesome to keep you going, to persevere you, to show you just how awesome he is. And that's why we can get to the end of verse 12 and say this final uh, 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 truth, that there is a place of abundance that awaits us. Because it is in that word. So he's saying you, all these things here, and yet there's the hopeful word there where we live in the midst of, where the decision is made, where the re resolution to continue following the Lord and walking with him faithfully happens. It is in the moments of the yets. You've done all this, yet I will still trust you. Yet I will still follow you. Yet I will still praise you. Or in this case, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. See, if you're in Christ today, there is always relief at the end. There's, there's always an expiration date on these things. There is this earth and it ends in your death. It's why we sang in that song, no fate I dread. Or why Paul would say in Philippians 1, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now we don't Normally, you just look for death, but there is hope in the eternal life that what awaits us is far greater. 
of what God will do in and through the test, what he is doing in us, uh, uh, strengthening our faith, growing us in holiness, making us long for heaven. There is a place of abundance even here and now, even if it is through the valley of the shadow of death, even if it is hardship, even if it is filled with pain and tears and grief, through the tests we continue to walk with him faithfully, for we know that we have the hope of something that is far greater, that a place of abundance here and now is for us and also for eternity. And these are the guardrails that keep us from careening over the cliff. These are the things, these truths that God has on repeat. Even just these three simple things as we keep our nose in the book, as you uh, maybe even this year commit to reading through the Bible uh, uh, again or for the first time, what you will find in every story, in every narrative all along the way are these truths that God will persevere you. God presides over every aspect in your life and a place of abundance awaits you. So we can just continue to walk with him faithfully, one foot in front of the other, fully dependent on God, faithfully seeking to follow him. And God is so awesome in the midst of it all. It's his awesome sovereignty, one that we don't always understand why, but we can understand what he is doing and how he is promising to persevere us through it all. But he's awesome. That deserves our worship, deserves our attention to witness, and deserves our faithful walking with him. And because he's awesome, look at this fourth stanza here. We can work for him purposefully. There's a, there's a change here in this fourth stanza in the pronouns that continues through the end. Up until this point, there has been collective pronouns, the use of us and our, but now in 12 or 13, rather, through to the end, now there are personal pronouns. I will do this, my God, and because God is so awesome, now they will continue. He will, the writer of this, and we too will continue to work for him purposefully. And, and note this, because God, he's so awesome in delivering them and dwelling in the tabernacle, they will then keep their vows and bring their offerings to the Lord. Why did they do that? Remember what we saw in Leviticus? To say sorry, to say thank you to the Lord these aren't the vows that are talking about, right? I'll perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. Like, don't misunderstand this. This isn't the moment like where the writer's like, you know, at those moments where, you know, you get, you find yourself in a pickle and you're like, God, if you get me out of this, I promise to follow you forever, right? Ever made those or heard others? You see them in movies. It's not what he's saying here. What he's referring to is here that he has promised he's coming. He's offered these prayers to, to offer these things that God had commanded along the way in order uh, to meet with him. He's been compelled to worship God by serving him and keeping his commandments as God had outlined, right? And as we saw in recent months, Leviticus outlines as those purposeful rituals and offerings that God had given to his people so, he would, uh, so they could meet with him. Right? They, they, they weren't just this random kind of obscure uh, sacrificial system or vows or offerings. They were intentional, intentional so that they could be holy and come near to God so that a mediator would mediate on their behalf and they could come into God's presence. And so they were very purposeful, very intentional. And, and they didn't do them to earn their salvation. 
Sometimes we can get that mixed up. That, that God didn't give them so that the Israelites could earn their salvation or earn God's favor any more than our works here now this side of Christ do for us either. God had already promised to dwell in the tabernacle. He had said he would come near, and this is how they could come near to him. And now because they did, they would serve him in this way, giving their first and their best to the Lord in thankful praise and in seeking atonement for their sin. And today, now that we stand on the other side of Christ, who was the final sacrifice, the once for all forgiveness of sins, why we no longer have to follow all the rules and rituals as outlined in Leviticus is because of Christ. Amen for that, right? And because he has delivered us from our sin, the same way that the Lord delivered the uh, Israelites out of their Egyptian slavery and their bondage there. God delivered us through Christ from our bondage to our sin. And now he sent them to the promised land to serve him and to serve his people with their time, talent and treasure in the same way. Now he has delivered us from sin and sent us out. And now we treasure this is what he's getting. I'll offer these sacrifices, these rams. This was their currency. This is how they would spend their time. And, you know, for us as well, as because God is so awesome, this is why we work for him purposely. Why we use our time, talent, and treasure to serve him. And, you know, this is the time of the year where we do that. It's the beginning of the year. We take stock of our time, talent, or treasure. We resolve to increase to how we use it purposefully, how we steward our time, how we steward these resources for gospel advancement. Let's make our lives more involved in the mission, cutting out those GWATs. Right? Those giant wastes of time and talent and treasure. Those things that occupy far much, far much too time in our calendar, but rather adding in deliberate time for increased uh, opportunities. Or maybe it's just deeper time for uh, more excellent opportunities. For note this, it's not always adding more into our schedule. Sometimes we're just like, okay, I need to be doing more. I need to be doing more. How about we do things more excellently? Going deeper in it. Maybe it's not adding like a, just, here's just like one opportunity or one uh, 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 like example of that. It's not just like, okay, I need to serve on another ministry team or I need to go find another ministry. How about, how about just spending extra time in preparing for the ministry that you're already involved with? Whether you're serving kids ministry, taking an extra hour to understand the lesson, to be impacted by it as well and to have a, 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 a come up with a, a poignant way to, to communicate or spending additional time thinking about the text and uh, preparing and doing the pulpit curriculum so that you come ready to serve and to love the, your small group members by uh, interacting with the word yet again and letting it go deeper in your own understanding and more specific in your own application so you come ready to serve the Lord. This is just, that's just with our time, our talents, our treasure, you know, cutting out those giant wastes of, uh, of treasure to steward our finances better for mission of giving our first and the best foot to the Lord. Maybe, maybe it's just like a, a, a meager loaf and a fish, right? Like, well, I don't really make much. What could the Lord do with this? I need this more than the Lord. I, but all, all I have to offer is a loaf and a fish. What could God do with that anyway? Well, if you know what Christ can do with some loaves and fish. He can do some pretty awesome things with some loaves and fish, right? But see, here's the thing. See, as we just grasp how awesome God is in his deeds towards us to save us, to deliver us, 
to call us to himself, to serve us, to let our life now take on a, a purpose uh, uh, for a mission that is far beyond ourselves, of stewarding the gospel treasure that he has given us, not just these mere uh, material resources or time resources, but the gospel treasure that he has given us. As we work for the Lord purposefully, it gives us more and more to talk about. More and more uh, uh, examples right before our very eyes of God answering prayers, of God coming through, of God saving people and growing people and sending people. We uh, begin to witness for ourselves more God at work stories of what he's done for you and in you and through you, which is really why the psalm ends uh, on this note of invitation. Because he is awesome, we welcome his people in fearfully. I'll write that down. We, we, We worship him. We witness for him, we walk with him, we work for him, but we also welcome his people in fearfully. And so look at verse 16 at this final stanza here, because, uh, and, and well, let me just say this. I hope you catch the sense of what I mean by fearfully there, right? From the text and, you know, what, what is meant here. It's this fearfully is this awe of God and the godly restraint uh, from sin, like, that's, that's what we mean here. Not like the craven cowering, the, you know, the scaredy cat senselessness that we're like paralyzed in fear. But when he's talking about those who fear God, it's those who have this awe and reverence and respect from God and a, and a restraint from go, going into sin. It's an awe that welcomes other believers into your life, both to relish in that awesomeness and also to take responsibility for our accountability. So look, just look at the self-disclosure that, that, this, that the psalm ends on in it. And, and it's similar in the invitation from verse 5. Did you see the, the repetition there? This invitation to come and see what God has done. But here in, in verse 16, it's different because he says, Come and hear all you who fear God. Who are those that fear God? Believers, right? Romans 3, uh, speaking of unbelievers, says there is no fear of God before their eyes, right? Whereas in verse 5, there's this invitation. Really, that's to all, but the sense is you get, it's an invitation to come and see to those who don't yet believe, and let me tell you what God has done. Though certainly we tell that to believers. But in this case here, in this case, there is a welcoming in, an invitation to those who fear God, believers that need the encouragement of hearing how God is at work in each other's lives, Right? Come in here, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I mean, that's really a theme verse for all of our ministries. Go to men's and women's events. Why do we go to these studies? Why do we do this? Because we are coming to hear what God has done in our lives. I want to tell you about it. I want to tell you here, look at, it's just like really three. What What do we tell about? What has he done for us? We tell like, well, what are we learning about from him, right? cried to him with my mouth, high praise was on my tongue. We just tell, like, here's what I'm learning about God, how I am worshiping him and praising him, how I am in awe of who he is. But also, verse 18, we come and tell how we've been convicted by sin. If I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Some strong language there, right? To cherish iniquity. It's next level. But rather, I'm coming to say, you know what? You're not. 
I was convicted of it. Here, I need to confess my sin to you so you will pray for me so I can be healed. I am, I, I am bringing it out in life. And this is, this is not something to hide away from or that makes us look less. This is actually an encouragement as we bring these uh, moments to one another and say, I was convicted of this. I need your prayers. And this is like what God is doing for our soul in this sanctifying work. He loves us enough to point out sin. He is awesome in his grace towards us that we would flee from it. And we all need the encouragement. We're battling sin, and we're taking ground against it. This is what he's doing for our soul. I'm learning these things. I'm praising him. I'm convicted of sin, and here's how he's answering my prayers. Truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer, and isn't that amazing? That's awesome. The God of the universe, the one who created us all, the one who holds all things in our hands, the one who can see the end from the beginning, who has no concept of time, is listening to your specific prayers. Blessed be God. Not, not, not carelessly, not casually. That's like a, a, a blessed be God. That's a reason to shout for joy to God, all the earth, right? Because he has listened. He has heard our prayers. He has not rejected us. He has not removed his love from us. That sin, that thing that you did, no, it didn't diminish his love towards you. He loves you completely in Christ. He's bringing conviction because he wants better for you. And so we can welcome God's people in fearfully to tell them the good, the bad, the ugly, the hard, the great. And this type of mutual ministry is vital for our soul health. Otherwise, we find ourselves distant from God. And that church, that is a truly scary place to be. Hardened from God, cherishing iniquity, unable to hear his voice or to grasp his love. That's a scary place to be. And left on our own, isolated from God's people, free to let sin grip our heart and to take uh, over the affections of our heart, that's a scary place for be, to be. But God in his awesome wisdom designs us for community to welcome in this kind of closeness in the fear of God, knowing who we would be apart from God's grace and apart from God's people here. He knows this is for our good and he leads us then both to a closeness with God who hears our prayers and a closeness to the people of God around us. And there's no better time than today to take the next step in those building the closeness and the, the relationships with the people around us. See, these are the type of resolutions to welcome others in. I want to go deeper in my relationships. I want to go deeper in my understanding of God's word. I want to go deeper in my worship and fervency uh, in my prayers and my work for him. This is what we long to do. But as we've said from the beginning, none of this is possible apart from the Lord. It's only by his grace, like we sang at the beginning, right? By his grace and grace alone will we move forward, will we slay sin. It is only by his grace that we can walk through the unknowns and the overwhelmings to end in a place like this, a place of praise to the Lord for his awesomeness in and through it all. And so what I want us to do here, church, these are the simple things. These are the ancient paths that end in praise to God. As we head into the future, these, this is the way that God has designed for us to go in awe of who he is, amazed at his awesomeness.